Um, before I start today, I, <laughs> if, you've nev- if you've been to church and you've never really paid attention to a message before, this would be the day to do it. <laughs> now, I say that not because I spent so much time preparing. In fact, I spent very, very little time preparing this message. In fact, this was not even the message that I intended to preach up until about Wednesday. But I had some wise counsel. And then some other things fell into place. And then this morning happened. And I have never heard, never in the 10 years that I've been doing this, have I heard prophetic words given at a service line up more directly with the message that is about to come forth. Which is why I say, I think everybody needs to pay attention today. Because God's trying to tell us something. And as I said earlier, I had very little to do with it other than I at least I think I've been obedient and I've listened when I was supposed to. And I was going to start this with some, you know, it's 4th of July or it's 4th of July weekend. And I had found some interesting facts about the 4th of July that I was going to share with you, but I'm not going to now. So you'll just have to look them up for yourself. <laughs> And I guess the crux of this is that the thing that we, we really celebrate on the 4th of July is freedom, okay? But I think it's more, it's more important, there's more to it than we just celebrate our freedom from uh, our independence from Great Britain. The 4th of July also serves to remind us of just how vast and how wonderful our freedom truly is. And how much more freedom we have in this country than others do in other countries. It's why so many immigrants sacrifice so much to get here. It's why there are so many organizations that have formed to watch out for our freedoms and to raise the alarm if those freedoms are being uh, impinged upon. And so freedom is a precious, precious thing. Or is it? And I question this not so much from the perspective of the freedoms granted to us by the Declaration of Independence and by the Constitution, but from the perspective of the freedom that's granted to us by God and his word. And my reasoning in saying this is is that if our freedom in Christ is such a precious thing, then why do so many Christians live as if Jesus' death on the cross was just another historical event? Do you really believe and do you really live out of the freedom that Jesus bought and paid for? Or do you simply give it lip service while remaining enslaved to your old nature? Some of you are familiar with the name Graham Cook. 
Graham is originally from Manchester, England, and uh, is now a very popular speaker around the world of Christendom. And he has this passion to empower people uh, to walk in their true identity. He's a very powerful communicator. He's a funny guy. He just sort of radiates Jesus and the kingdom of God when he speaks. And his, his whole ministry is sort of marked with this delightful, intimate, and unreserved two-way friendship with God. And it's because of the unique experiences that he has with God that I want to show two clips of Graham. Now, these two clips are related. And they're essentially talking about the same subject, but he goes into more detail in the first one. So the first one is very short, and then the second one is a bit longer. Uh, and the second one really gets into what today is all about. But the first one sets it up a little bit better. So I'm going to show the first one, sort of summarize a little bit about what he has... Uh, what he's been talking about, and then we'll go into the second one. And I think they'll be self-explanatory. So I'll start by telling you a dream I had about a hundred years ago. <laughs> I was having this series of dreams, and um, in these dreams I, I was in heaven, and there was always this uh, hill, great view all around, 360 degrees, and like a platform, wood pillars, curtains, you go inside, great carpet, great seats, wonderful wine, because I'm a European. It's the only time I'll confess to being a European. <clears throat> and great food. And so I always get there first, and I'm um, waiting, and you know, pour myself a glass, get some cheese, oh, the cheese. I could talk for half an hour about the cheese. <laughs> and then I would hear this noise um, that sounded like a tumult. And I would, I would look out and there would be this crowd of people, young kids, guys, you know, women, grannies. And there's Jesus in the midst and every, the kids are jumping all over him and the guys are high-fiving. All the grannies are like dancing in front of him. And everyone's having a great time and, you know, typical Jesus, he's got his head thrown back and he's laughing. And somewhere there's, a, there's an order in everything, but it seems like everyone gets that opportunity to touch him and be with him. And I'm watching him and I'm smiling because I know I'm going to get him all to myself. So, and then, so I go and sit down and I wait and then he, he comes in and it's always, he never enters a place softly. It's always like, and he like looks at me, and, he, and I can see in his eyes, he's like, oh my God, this is going to be so exciting for me. And I'm thinking, for you? What about me? And he grabs me in this hug, and he holds me for the longest time. So I, I have the chance to get saved at least four times. <clears throat> then we sit down, and he pours himself a glass of wine, and we talk about cheese for a while. <laughs> And then we talk. And I wake up in the morning, I have perfect recall of everything he said to me. And that's where all my books begin, it's where all my messages begin. 
It's where any prophetic word I've ever given begins is in those times. Because here's the thing you need to know about me. I'm very limited in myself as a person. I'm a one-dimensional man living with a multi-dimensional God and he has made all the difference. <laughs> My mom said that Graham never went to school, he just used to meet the other kids on the way home. <laughs> and that's probably very true. I'm not an academic theologian, I am a relational theologian. I'm about as unlearned and ignorant as Peter got. That's me. Um, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs>So just to kind of summarize where we are at this point, Graham is talking about dreams that he has, okay? And in these dreams, he encounters Jesus. And he describes sort of how, what those encounters look like, all right, typically. And it's where he receives information, downloads, um, for the books that he writes, for the messages that he, he gives, and so forth. And so... You know, this is, it's very biblical. God speaks to us in dreams and visions. Scripture talks about that, okay? All right, so now, with that sort of as the, the groundwork, he's going to go over a little of this again. But I felt like he did a better job of sort of laying the foundation for what he's going to say with this shorter clip. So now I'm going to play the other one uh, that really hits upon the, the subject matter for today. I have dreams. I dream a lot. And usually all my dreams usually have some kind of significance. I have the weird kind of, you know, ate too much pizza last thing at night dreams too. But I, <clears throat> but I have other dreams where I really interact with the Lord in those dreams. That's what dreaming really is about. It's about you having experiences and encounters with God in dream form or vision form that enables you to see something about yourself that when you wake up you actually know that a door is open for you to step into that place and become that person <clears throat> so having these series of dreams where I am uh, I'm in heaven we're on top of a hill and I'm in this kind of structure that's just wooden poles and got all these curtains around them, and you know, and you can see through the curtain, but people can't see, and it's a weird thing. There's loads of great food and wine. So I'm in this place, I'm waiting, and normally what happens is he comes up the hill, and he's laughing and smiling, surrounded by people, kids trying to jump on him, grannies dancing around him, all that kind of stuff, and he's having a dozen conversations at once, and usually looks up, smiles, waves, and I'll be there in a minute, you know. But on this occasion, He's walking up, he's by himself walking up the hill. In fact, he's not walking up the hill, he's marching up the hill. And he looks annoyed. He looks like he just swallowed a wasp. <laughs> you know, he's marching up the hill, he's glaring at me. And the closer he's getting, it's like I start moving back until I feel the curtain behind me and I'm thinking, never seen him like this. And I'm kind of like, I'm worried. He's marching up. Marches straight into the thing, marches right up to me, stops four feet away from me, and he says, Graham, give me back my stuff. I said, 
excuse me? Give me back my stuff. I, I, I don't know what you mean, Lord. Graham, don't mess around with me. Give me back my stuff. But I don't, I don't know what you mean. Yes, you do. Give me back my stuff. I want it, and I want it right now. Right now. But, Lord, I, I'm starting to sweat. Lord, I, 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 honestly, everything I've got you gave me, that part of that is true, but you took some stuff that belongs to me that I don't want you to have. Give it back. But I don't, I'm thinking all the gifts he's given me. I, I, I don't know what you mean, Lord. And he looks at me and said, okay, this is the last time. Graham, give me back my stuff. I'm on my knees and I'm crying. Lord, I don't, I, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean. That worry, that anger, that resentment, that bitterness, that fear. I died for it. I paid a price for it. It belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. Give me back my stuff. And suddenly it's like I'm having an OMG moment. And I can see it. I can see it. All those different things that he died for. He took them to the cross, and I've been resurrecting them. I can see it. And I'm, and I'm absolutely, utterly appalled. And I start crying. I say, I'm so sorry. 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 You're right. You're right. You're right, Lord. You're right. You're right. I've been doing that. You're right. I'm so sorry. And then he smiles at me, which honestly, at that moment, was a little like getting saved all over again. <laughs> he smiled at me, and he reached down, and he pulled me up, and he kissed me on both cheeks, and he held me at arm's length. And he looked right into my eyes. He said, Graham, have you any idea how utterly delighted I was to die for all those things? When I was on the cross, the joy that was set before me was I knew that I was robbing you of the ability to experience all that negativity. That I was taking all those things away from you that you would never have to experience them or encounter them ever again. And I could give you a whole new life where those things would be absolutely absent. And you could learn a different way of being. Have you any idea how excited I was to be able to take all those things away from you? That you'd never be fearful again. You'd never be anxious or worried or panicked. You'd never have to be angry or bitter or resentful. You'd never have to do any of that stuff. You could be free. Graham, totally and completely free of all negativity. It wasn't just your sin 
that I took on the cross. I took all your negativity, all your negative way of looking at things that makes you cynical and sarcastic, all your negative way of seeing and thinking, all your negative mindset that makes you imagine the worst before you even think about seeing the best, that takes you off into that place, that takes you off into the, sh into the shadows, and then into the darkness, where you imagine the worst, you think the worst. I robbed you of all that negativity so you could see the best, think the best, believe the best, speak the best. I took all that away from you. And here you are, son, you, you just keep taking it all back like it belongs to you. It doesn't belong to you. I died for it. I paid a price for it. It's mine. Give me back my stuff. Give me back my stuff. Because you can't have it. Because Graham, all the time you're taking hold of those things, you can't see who you really are. You can't become the person that I see when I look at you. All the time you take on all those characteristics, there is a disconnect between you and heaven. I died so that you could stay connected. Son, it's called abiding. Staying, dwelling, remaining in this place. Graham, I want my stuff back. Give me back my stuff. Because as long as you're holding on to that, you actually cannot receive all the things I want to give you. You can pray until the cows come home and nothing will happen because the only I can only give in exchange for something. So I want all of that stuff to be gone and then you can have accelerated goodness. You can have accelerated grace. You can have accelerated power. You can become a man who moves quickly in the earth because you're moving to the music of heaven. You're moving in the atmosphere of heaven, not the environment of earth. Come on, son, give me back that stuff. I've got things to give you. And you and I have things to do. We can't be messing around with this baby stuff anymore. We have things to do. So then the rest of the dream was we just sat down and we, you know, I wrote down on a piece of paper all the stuff that I'd stolen back. <laughs> and when I woke up in the morning, I, I sat down and I wrote that list out. And then I wrote what was the opposite of that, because that's what I'm taking. Yes. Yeah, because the, the Lord gives you the ability to turn a problem into something else. Yeah? He gives you an ability to take a negative and turn it into a positive. So, and that was his job description that he read out in, uh, in his hometown church. It's from Isaiah 61. And it says, he's talking about, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim favor 
and vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. You understand that? The word instead is the most powerful word in this passage. Because what it means is that God says, instead of that, you should be having this. So God gives you the ability to turn every negative into something else instead. Why? Because we are learning. The reason why we are citizens of heaven living here on earth is because we're learning how to move in the opposite spirit. We're not subject to the spirit of the world. We're subject to the spirit of heaven. So we're learning how to move in the opposite spirit. And so <clears throat> instead of our shame, we'll have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Five times in that passage, the word instead is mentioned. And it means in place of. God doesn't want you dealing with a negative because he's already dealt with it. He killed it off. He's not resurrecting it. For God to deal with it, he would have to resurrect it from the grave. Do you think he's going to do that? Because that actually treads underfoot the cross of Jesus. God is saying, I'm not dealing with your sin. I've dealt with it once and for all. Read Romans 6. What he's saying is, I am dealing with your righteousness. I'm dealing with your righteousness. I'm not dealing with sin. I'm dealing with holiness. I'm establishing righteousness in you. I was talking to a guy who has, he said, you know, Graham, I've had a filthy temper ever since I was a kid. And I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 42. How long have you been a Christian? Uh, 21. I got saved at 21. I said, listen, man, for 21 years you had an anger problem. But now you've been in the kingdom 21 years. You don't have an anger problem because the anger problem was killed off in Jesus. And God isn't dealing with your anger. He's trying to teach you patience. And every time you get into that situation, you default to the old man that's always dead. That's what we're doing. When I took that stuff back, what was I doing? I was defaulting to a behavior that God has already killed off. I wasn't living in my identity. You understand what I'm saying here? This is really critical, guys. Because unless we get the basic truth of the gospel... We can't hope to do the things that God really wants us to do. You are so much better than you think. One of my favorite stories in scripture is, uh, and it's, it's one that you wouldn't necessarily think is a favorite, because it doesn't stand out, but it does to me. And the reason that I like it is that it's, um, I think it's right after, might be in Luke. Luke is where 
the uh, passage that's known as the Sermon on the Plain. <laughs> it's a, similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but it's uh, they talk about the people coming on the plain, and so Jesus, and it's not exactly the same, but similar. And right after that, he's coming, he's finished speaking, and he's coming down, and this man who I think has leprosy comes up to him, and um, he says to him, um, I can't remember exactly, but Jesus, heal me, Jesus, make me well, something like that. Gets down on his knees. And Jesus asks him a really, what seems like is a really odd question. He says, what do you want? Now, if I'm standing in front of you and I have leprosy and I know Jesus heals people, it's, you would kind of think that's obvious. Well, I'd like to be better. But Jesus requires him to answer the question. He requires him to say, I want to be healed. He requires him to verbalize the request and not just have it implied. And I think the reason for that is that there's great power in doing that. There's great power in stating what it is that you are asking God to do. Give these to you. I'm going to give these to you. Just hang on here for a second. So here's what we're going to do. And this is totally voluntary. Okay? But if you have stuff that you have resurrected and is affecting the way you are living, it's not yours. You need to give Jesus back his stuff. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to have, Sally's got some note cards, Laney's got some pens. And if this is something that you would choose to do, in a minute I'm going to have you raise your hand and they're going to give you a note card and a pen. John and Mark, would you come up? Oh, I like saying that. <laughs> if I only had Matthew and Luke, it would be awesome. <laughs> Just move a little bit over there, right towards the corner. There you go. Yes. Gluten-free, if it's needed, is right there. So, you have options. What I've done, you can't really see it, but you will once you get up here, is I brought my paper shredder from home. Anybody, somebody wondered what it's doing at the cross? So if this is, if you are ready, and you want to give Jesus your stuff, then when you're finished, 
writing whatever it is you want to write on that card. You're going to walk up here. Just be kind of careful. There's some cords up here. And you just stick it in, the, in that paper shredder. And I'm going to play some music that will help guide us in this process. And then when you're finished, you're going to come right down here and you can take communion. Now, if, you, if you're good, if you've not taken any of that stuff back, then you can just come and take communion. Or if you don't want to do either of those, you can just sit and enjoy the music. The choice is yours. But know that if you really want to live in that abundant, abiding relationship that Graham was talking about, you can't do it if you're still hanging on to the stuff that was taken care of thousands of years ago, which you've now brought back to life. So, ladies, if you would, if you would like a card, please raise your hand. 